morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This week we return to our usual pattern of um, unpacking the weekly Torah portion known as the parasha. If you did not join us last week, then I recommend that you uh, try and listen to my conversation with Rabbi Michael Zedek, author of a wonderful new book entitled Miracles, Seeing uh, Modern-Day Miracles Surrounding Us. Um, we chatted about his book in response to the holiday of miracles, Hanukkah. This week, as I indicated, we return to our normative pattern of looking at the weekly reading known as a parasha and introducing a guest who will help us unpack the parasha. This week, Jewish communities throughout the world have finished reading the book Miketz, the Torah portion Miketz, which um, is part of the Joseph narrative found in Genesis 41 through the middle of Genesis 44. Let me give you an overview of this week's parasha. Some of the stories you may remember from childhood, some of the stories you may have heard in synagogue or in church. Joseph's imprisonment finally ends when Pharaoh's dreams of seven fat cows that are swallowed up by seven lean cows and seven fat ears of grain swallowed by seven lean ears. Joseph interprets the dreams to mean that there will be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of hunger, and advises Pharaoh to store grain during the plentiful year. Joseph appoints Joseph governor of Egypt. Joseph marries uh, Asanat, daughter of Potiphar, and they have two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, who will reappear in uh, the Torah in a few weeks. Um, we are told that famine spreads throughout the region and the food can only be obtained in Egypt. Ten of Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to purchase grain. The youngest, Benjamin, stays home for Jacob fears for his safety. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they do not recognize him. He accuses them of being spies and insists that they bring Benjamin to prove that they are who they say they are. And he imprisons Simeon as a hostage. Later, they discover that the money they paid for their provisions has mysteriously returned to them. Jacob agrees to send Benjamin back to Egypt, only after Judah assumes personal and eternal responsibility for him. This time, Joseph receives them kindly releases Simeon, and invites them to an eventful dinner at his home. But then, upon wishing them good luck and return to their home, he plants a silver goblet purportedly imbued with magic powers in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers set out for home in the morning, they are pursued, searched, and arrested. When the goblet is discovered, and Joseph sets them free only to retain Benjamin as his slave or to imprison him. Many of you may be uh, familiar with the story of Joseph and his brothers, beginning with the Technicolor dream code and Joseph's dreams about his brothers. We're not going to discuss this. We're going to discuss this uh, 
reunion between brothers. And with me today is Rabbi Daniel Michaelberg of Temple Israel, Ottawa, the only uh, congregation in the nation's capital affiliated with the Reform Movement, the Union of Reform Judaism. Rabbi Michaelberg himself is a Canadian by birth and one of the few rabbis serving Canadian congregations born in Canada. He started off at the University of British Columbia and then um, took his rabbinic ordination at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in Los Angeles. After his ordination as a rabbi, he had the unique opportunity to return to Temple Sholom, his home congregation in Vancouver, as an assistant. Later, he became an associate rabbi of a large congregation, Temple Sinai, Congregation of Toronto. And since 2019, Rabbi Michael Berg has been the senior rabbi of Temple Israel, Ottawa. In 2021, Rabbi Michael Berg was appointed as chair of the Reform Rabbis of Canada. It's a great joy to welcome Rabbi Michael Berg back to uh, Jewish faith and Jewish facts and to ask him and you and I together to help us unpack this unusual Torah portion. Good morning, Rabbi Michael Berg. Good morning, uh, Rabbi Garden. It's a pleasure to be here. And as I look at this Torah portion, I, I think of all our Torah portions, it's the most like a soap opera. There are highs, there are lows, there are lots of crazy happenings that seem beyond the imagination, and what a pleasure to be able to dig into it with you today. Um, I had a teacher when I was uh, very young in uh, what we would call Sunday school, although now known as religious school, who would begin each year by asking the students to name their favorite TV program and the plot of the TV program, and he would um, begin to associate and identify the plot of the TV program with the story in the Bible. Because, uh, as you suggest, certainly in the book of Genesis, but other books as well, it is filled with family drama. I would also say there are universal themes. And it's Very been a good. Since I've been watching soap operas, so <laughs> whether they relate to uh, the modern day soap operas, I'm not sure. But as, as we think about this Torah portion, what very much is present is that which we see, or dare I say that which we choose to see. Perhaps when are we blind to that which is before our eyes? When do we consciously make ourselves blind? And when do we do so subconsciously? If we go all the way back to the beginning of, uh, of Genesis, when we uh, think of the, the story of uh, Cain and Abel, when, when God asks, you know, wherefore is your brother? And uh, Cain um, invites, am I my brother's keeper? Of course, he knew very well where his brother was, but, but chose not to see, chose not to respond. Um, that being an early sibling uh, rivalry, the theme of sibling rivalry is going to continue on. Of course, the famous one is between the twins. Of, uh, of Jacob and Esau. They're going to trick their father, Isaac, who seemingly is blind and can't see. But for another day, we can certainly dig into that story and inquire as to whether he's choosing not to see that it is Jacob and not Esau before him. And now we have the Joseph story. Um, we have Joseph with his um, 11 brothers, and we have this narrative of the struggles between them and the journeys of their lifetime. 
And here in old age, really them finding themselves in this um, difficult predicament. I'm going to remind our, our, our listeners that the last time Jacob saw these brothers was when he was in a pit, um, threw him into a pit. He was in this darkness from this low place. He's, he's going to reach up. Um, but that in itself, when we find ourselves surrounded in darkness, how do we reach up? How do we make sure to surround ourselves with light? One again is a very present theme as we now witness this modern, this, this most recent encounter between jo- uh, Joseph and the brothers. It's interesting that you speak about light and darkness. Of course, as you indicated, Joseph's narrative is well known to us um, when he's thrown into a pit. And um, we can assume that the pit does not have electric lights or even candles, and he is rescued um, by the Midianites to whom he is sold. And then he uh, ends up in Potiphar's house, uh, one of the uh, agents of the Pharaoh. And there, too, his life is filled with darkness and light, light because he's master of the house, but darkness because Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce him and he's then thrown into jail. Again, the theme of light and darkness. And he only gets out of jail, though that um, is at the beginning of this week's Torah portion, when he acknowledges that he's an interpreter of dreams, but only due to the agency of the divine. And this whole idea of dreams, that in itself um, speaks to this notion of seeing. Joseph is going to be known as a, a dream interpreter and able to take these visions that he that he uh, that he uh, offers thanks on uh, on God's behalf really to direct wisdom and he'll take that wisdom right to the pharaoh and and help uh, help Egypt prepare in good days so in harder days they find themselves in in relative uh, comfort and um, and ease. And so again, we have this topic of seeing what others can't see. And and uniquely, Joseph seems to be quite in touch um, with this notion of uh, a vision or dream uh, or voice from, uh, from, from God. And unlike his father, who earlier in the Torah has dreams, but Jacob, his father, seems to be fairly um, what today we would call narcissistic. He only sees his dreams in terms of himself. Joseph interprets his dreams in a broader perspective. And so I suppose we should take this notion of seeing and um, associate it directly with the encounter between Joseph and his brothers. Joseph has been in Egypt for a number of years. Um, Some suggest it's 17 years, Um, so maybe that would make him 30 to 35 years old, depending on how one interprets the text as to when he's sold. Um, But um, he's now dressed in the garb of a, a civil servant of Egypt. He has an Egyptian name. Um, one could take uh, for granted that he speaks Egyptian because he's intimately involved in the court of the Pharaoh, and his brothers come to see him. And as the text tells us, 
he recognizes them but doesn't acknowledge who they are. And the text says they don't know who he is. Um, So the question is, why does the text, um, or how do you understand the text rather than why, um, this notion of seeing and not seeing? So it's such an interesting scenario to witness Joseph and his brothers. Why don't we look to the brothers first? So here the brothers come to Joseph in this place of desperation. Um, They've left their home. They've come to Egypt because it's a time of famine. And they seek uh, resources, support, um, generosity from, um, from Egypt. And so they find themselves between the vizier. And we see this remarkable episode that they go and they plead before him. And they do not recognize the man before their eyes. So let's think about that. For all of us, whether there are literal siblings or whether there are dear ones, even when an extended time has passed, even when we might be, say, dressed in costume, in appearance that superficially doesn't look like how we remember someone, how remarkable that the brothers do not recognize this man before their eyes. The text leads us to believe that that's an authentic blindness. That they really are um, in, um, they really are uh, uh, sort of veiled in mystery, in that they they can't see the connection that uh, that this is their brother. Perhaps it speaks to the role that power plays in our life. Um, and earlier on, certainly when the brothers threw Joseph in the pit, the brothers were coming from a place of power. The uh, Joseph himself would have been completely powerless against uh, against this collective of, uh, of siblings. Now that's turned on its head. And now very much Joseph is the man of ultimate power. And they are coming to him in the ultimate place of need where he has the potential to offer them life or death. And perhaps that notion of power being flipped on its head has brought them to a place where they can't even see that this is their uh, blood and flesh before them. This is their brother. Helps us perhaps understand when are there um, when are there themes, whether it's power or other, that leave us in a place of feeling lost and and unknown, and such that our vision too is 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 clouded. Okay, then let's look at Joseph because Joseph is another story, and what we read in the text is. Yes, uh, a significant period of time may have passed since when Joseph saw his brothers, but he, in fact, can recognize them, and he knows who these fellows are, but he is going to choose not to reveal himself. So I don't know if it's fair to call that blindness, because we read in the text that he recognizes them, but he's going to pretend. He's going to act like he doesn't know. So why is he doing that? I would interpret the text to say that he has not completely forgiven them, that many years may have passed, but understandably so, there is bad blood uh, between them. And Joseph is perhaps engaging in deep soul searching, trying to determine how is it that he will respond um, to his brothers um, years later. I can't help but think of a few parashiot again when we saw Jacob and Esau reuniting. And 
when they saw one another, even as so much time had passed, in this ultimate moment of suspense, they will embrace. But Joseph's not going to do that, at least not right away. He's going to test them. He might even say he's going to torment and torture them. He's going to try, um, he's going to see if these are the same brothers that threw him in the pit, that treated him so poorly um, a generation before. Now, we know where this story goes, spoiler alert, and eventually he will reveal himself, and eventually they will find themselves together. But at the beginning of this narrative, there seems to be a conversation that Joseph is having with himself to, uh, to figure out, do I authentically open my eyes wide? It's um, interesting that you ask the question of whether Joseph now has um, matured from the somewhat young child that he was at the beginning of the narrative, and whether at this moment he is um, interested in revenge against his brothers, or since Benjamin, now the youngest, plays a central role in the narrative, is Joseph trying to determine whether his brothers have um, continued their mistreatment of the youngest child or whether they've changed? Um, And the fact that the narrative puts Benjamin right in the middle of it, Um, by the way, not only with regard to his brothers, but his father as well, since in the earlier narrative, Um, Jacob seems to be really ambivalent about what to do about Joseph. You know, we don't read about him calling for a search party, or we don't ask, we don't read that he um, has some sort of doubt about the brother's story. He seems to be blindly accepting the story of Joseph being thrown into a pit and being eaten, and here's the bloody uh, tunic, um, Jacob seems to be, even though it's his father who is called dim of sight, Jacob seems to be throughout his whole life, uh, replicating that. Um, it's, it's quite an interesting dynamic there. Um, so he doesn't acknowledge who he is. Um, he wants his brother's not to work for the food because he gives them food. So the notion that he's withholding the sustenance which they've come for is not an issue. It's the issue of what, who are the brothers now? What growth have they manifested with regard to family relations? So I would add a few things. So first, if we're looking for a modern, um, some modern thought, when do our emotions get in the way of our sight? And for Joseph, perhaps it's anger, perhaps it's sadness, <laughs> um, perhaps it's this um, um, this uh, deep uh, uh, this the seeking of revenge. But Joseph is. It seems like you know one of those or all of those are going to get in the way of how he responds to the brothers who are before him. And that can be a lesson to ourselves. For Joseph, it seems to be conscious. I would argue that often it might be subconscious that, that those emotions get in our way. But another thought, Joseph is not the man who was thrown into the pit, um, the young man with the multicolored coat. 
Joseph is now second in command in uh, in Egypt. So he very much has assimilated into Egyptian culture and certainly in terms of outward appearance represents um, a grand uh, vision of something that is quite a distance from where he once was. Um, you know, if we're looking superficially, sometimes when we move to a new country um, or a new region, we speak with a different accent and we, and we, and, or, or we hold on to that accent from our, our place of origin. And we can see that interplay here with, um, with, with Joseph and really reflect Never mind how do we grow with age, but as we move from here to there, when do we become a part of our surroundings, so much so that we're no longer recognizable to our place of origin? Isn't that, I mean, I think that's so wonderfully phrased. All the hallmarks of identity for Joseph have changed. His clothes have changed. His name has changed. His language has changed. His wife is Egyptian. His children have names that are ambiguous as to whether they're Hebrew or Egyptian. We accept them as Hebrew today, but in the text, it's a little bit ambiguous. And we wonder whether this interaction is a challenge to Joseph, not only about his brothers, but about the life that he led. Right? Can he identify or continue to identify with these 10 brothers who come from Canaan, his homeland? Um, and has he so immersed himself into Egyptian culture? Um, and we would compare that, of course, with what will happen in the book of um, Exodus with Moses, who seems to be immersed in Egyptian culture and then um, some would say miraculously, identifies with the Hebrews in, a, in two verses, uh, went out to look at his brethren and why he would think that they were his brethren. The text is somewhat ambiguous about, um, unlike the movie. Um, and um, so you're right, there's a whole question here about the nature of how one lives in a new country and perhaps is struggling to hold on to um, the tenants of the place that you came from. And I'd like to take us, if I'm allowed, to next week's Torah portion, because I would say the consequences of this blindness, or the consequences, we can say, of this intimate conversation of the soul, will start to come to some kind of closure in chapter 45, where we read, Joseph could no longer restrain himself before all who were standing in attendance. So he cried, send everyone away from me so that no one else was there. And Joseph made himself known to his brother and he gave voice to a loud wail. I find this is so profound because sometimes there are no words. And so this wail that we're going to encounter in next week's Torah portion I would say speak to the pain that he holds as he tries to navigate this difficult conversation of where do I belong, where do I fit, who am I connected to, who do I relate to, and again, what do I see and what do I not see. And sometimes that will come together in a yelp, in a sound that is so primitive and painful um, and yet unarticulate, without words, 
to, uh, to, to speak to his moment in time. It's hard not to think about um, immigrant families when we read this section. Immigrant families who come to Canada, to the United States, to any country, and are offered the opportunity to um, integrate, to assimilate, and yet in times of crisis like Joseph, they're confronted with how much do they hold to where they are and how much do they hold to where they've come from. Yeah. And it's the crisis that Joseph confronts um, in re-meeting his brothers that um, allows this ambivalence to come to the fore. And as you've uh, foretold for our listeners, next week, what emerges is this cry, a wordless cry, as if he knows what choice he must make, but is um, totally um, incapable of expressing what those uh, emotions are. Uh, which is why he needs his father to come back. Um, this is a Torah portion about the brothers, but there is a significant um, character who's part of the story who's absent, and that's Jacob. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering in the few minutes that are left to us, if you want to help our uh, listeners understand why Jacob and Joseph have had no contact with each other. I mean, it's not as if Joseph, um, so certainly Joseph is in the position to have called to his father or sent a note, um, perhaps not a text, pre-text time, pre-internet. Here I am, I am alive. Why not do that? Wow, an important question. So, Again, Joseph is in the place of power. Joseph seemingly could have reached out, but will choose not to. It appears that Joseph has put walls up, that Joseph has distanced himself from his past, and whether consciously or subconsciously, has chosen to leave his past behind and to embrace who he is in that moment. And if we're looking for modern comparisons, how often do we compartmentalize and think about who we used to be and, and who we are at this moment. Um, that's a very powerful thing to, um, to, to, to reflect upon. It seems Joseph is realizing what many of us realize, that we can't just wrap up our past, that even though we might try, it's important to blend it all together and to be our authentic selves, to be who we were, but also to continue to be who we are. You know, isn't it fascinating that we've read an ancient story Uh, over 2,000 years old, and it resonates with all that we know about uh, family dynamics and human emotions and the frailties of individuals. Um, It's really the power of the biblical narrative that calls out to us. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Daniel Michaelberg, Senior Rabbi of Temple Israel of Ottawa, Canada. I want to thank him for Um, elucidating when our eyes are open and when our eyes might be closed intentionally or unintentionally. You can hear our conversation on CHRI 99.1 FM or as a podcast on chri.ca or you can download it as a podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. 
again thanking my guest, Rabbi Michael Berg, and wishing you all a good day and shalom. Shalom.